Jesus, you are our living hope. And we just come to you this morning thankful, grateful, uh, with adoration and praise in our hearts for you. Like, uh, we can't understand what you've done for us, and yet uh, you've given such a great gift to us with, with grace and freedom. And so, Father, we pray that as we open your word this morning, Help us to, to, to let go of the things that hold us back from you, that keep us from giving our hearts to you, Lord. Because you want us for who we really are, for who you've created us to be. Thank you, Jesus, for being our hope. May we step into that hope today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> My name is Blake, uh, one of the pastor elders here, and um, for some of you, I, I don't know you yet, I don't know your stories, uh, but I'm looking forward to hopefully getting to learn some of those, and um, this morning, we're going to be uh, uh, opening our Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We are uh, working through the book of Romans this year at Christ Community, and uh, the, through the summer, we're just picking up some chapters that... Uh, are some of the richest, really, in, in all of Scripture, uh, and, and yet they're just things that we're, we're packaging into a series we're calling the rest of Romans. So we're going to be in Romans 10, verses 1 through 13, and uh, we'll finish chapter 10 next week. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, or if you're uh, techie, you can download the Bible app, and we've got some sermon notes in there. If you go to the events tab, and uh, you can find us in there, or just follow along in Romans 10, verses 1 through 13. Uh, before we jump into the text this morning, uh, man, just some cool like church family stuff. Uh, like it makes me really sad that Wayne and Veronica are uh, moving, uh, but it's it's amazing to to get to worship with him this morning. Uh, Tommy Rowe, you are the man. Uh, Tommy Rowe is the man playing guitar this morning and. Uh, is that your first time on Sunday morning? First time, yeah, first. He's done it before in some other settings, but first time on Sunday morning. So we've got a first and a last leading worship all at the same time. That's pretty neat. Um, uh, Doug and Diana Adams. Good to have you back. Good to have you back. Many of you don't know Doug and Diana, but uh, man, some of the first people to meet the Lord at Christ Community Church and have their lives radically changed. They've, they've since moved, and we get to spend the weekend with them. So. Uh, excited about that, and uh, I'm sure many other things that are going on in our church family, but uh, just some neat stuff that's going on there. So um, I, I got a question that I want us to, to engage with one another around, all right? Everybody has been in that moment where you open up your email on Monday morning, and you're going through your email. Maybe it's not Monday morning. I don't know. You open up your email, and you see it. It is the 8,000th email from that one company that you accidentally gave your email address to and you've never taken the time to unsubscribe for their, from their 85 newsletters, all right? So before we, get, before we really jump into the text this morning, I want you to share, and there's a reason for this, I want you to share with those around you, this, this is the company or this is the, the email, this is the person that is spamming my inbox that I, I just, every time I see their email, I cringe, all right? Everybody, everybody's got it in mind, right? No? Some of you? Maybe? All right. 30 seconds. Ready? Go. Share with your neighbor.
you just learned a lot about your neighbor. Maybe theirs was Wayfair, and you're like, you buy too much stuff for your house. You might have an Amazon in there. Uh, um, who else? Lowe's. The guys are like, Lowe's. That's all I got. Um, the, all kinds of things, right? All kinds of fun things. So um, I want you to, to take yourself, if you would, go with me to that moment where uh, you pull up a web page. I'm, I'm, uh, of course, this has never happened to me. And you're reading and you're so excited about uh, whatever information you're about to get. Uh, maybe you're trying to figure out how to be a better parent or, uh, you know, you're trying to be better at your job or whatever. And this company's like, we've got a free ebook just for you. Or we've got a free whatever just for you. And all you have to do is fill out this neat little online form. And there's that dreaded moment, right? There's a little red star by the email box. Email required. You're like, maybe if I just fill all of it out except for the email and click submit, something accidental will happen. It'll just go through. I don't know. But instead, the little box pops up, right? And it's like, sorry, there are required fields that you must respond to. Deck on it. Then you have a choice to make. I'm either going to put my email in and get the information that I wanted or, and, and try to remember to unsubscribe, which we never do, or I'm going to miss out on the information and just walk away from the page, right? You've, you've had those moments. Uh, if you haven't, you should spend some more time online, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but for me, that happens. The, the form on the website demands a response. It demands a response from us. We have to give them our email if we want to get the information. And today, as we read through, and we're just gonna like we're just gonna kind of chunk a couple of verses at a time through these first thirteen verses in Romans chapter ten. As we read through those, we are going to to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the living hope that Jesus was dead, but in that tomb, his body began to breathe again so that you and I could have life. That news, that information demands a response from you. It says there's a blank that you have to fill out. What say you about this information? It demands a response. And when we come into contact with the good news of Jesus, we are either responding and, and moving forward from the page, or we're simply refreshing that same page over and over and over and over and over again. Hoping, oh, maybe I can just be neutral. You can't be neutral with the gospel. It demands a response from you. So I'm just going to like skip to the end of the sermon right now and let you know where we're going to end up and then come back and, and end there. All right. So today at the end, because we've got this idea that the gospel demands a response, at the end, I'm going to ask all of us to consider if we've given the Lord our heart. Maybe that's giving the Lord your heart the first time. Maybe the Lord has called you to, to ministry, to do something more. I'm going to talk about what that might look like. And have you given him your heart in that, or are you just running from it? And then I think there's another group of us that, man, maybe we're a little bit like Jonah. Maybe you've heard his story, maybe you haven't. The Lord placed a dream in his heart. The, the Lord gave him a vision for what he was supposed to do, and he ran from it. He tried to get away from it because he wouldn't give the Lord his heart. And so at the end of all this, I'm going to ask you, I'm just telling you up front, I'm going to ask you to consider whether you've given him your heart. 
And if you haven't, I'm going to invite you to come down here in this front row of chairs or on the floor. I don't care, but we're going to come right down here in front of the cross that Christ died on for you and to give him our heart. I was telling you that up front, okay? (laughs) End at the beginning. Because when we are asked about our relationship with Jesus, we have to know what our response is. What goes in the blank? Romans chapter 10. Paul, the writer of Romans chapter 10, was concerned about what his people, the Israelites, were going to put in that blank. What are they going to put in that blank? These are my people. Paul writes this in Romans 10, verses 1 and 2. He says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, them as the Israelites, concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have zeal for God, but, but not according to knowledge. Paul is, is concerned. These are his people. He is upset because he fears that, that they have a lot of answers to all the wrong questions. They want to know God, but they've completely missed the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh. They want to know God, but they've missed the fact that God was right in front of their eyes. He says they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They've, they've missed it. They've missed this moment in time where, where God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth to be in the flesh, walking and living 100% human, 100% God, to become the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. They've missed it. And it's concerned Paul. Wouldn't that concern you? If your friends, your family members, the people that you grew up with, if you knew that they knew, you know that they know that their lives were created by God, for God, to give glory to God, and yet you watched as they lived in a way that didn't reflect any of that. It tears you apart, and Paul is torn apart by that. And so he continues in verses 3 through 5, and he says this, Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. You see, when they denied the fact that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Son of God, their alternative was to begin to answer their own questions. They would come up with what was right and wrong. Their righteousness would come from what they established rather than from the righteousness that Christ wanted to freely give them if they would simply have faith. They were asking all the questions, but they were also coming up with all the answers. And in the immediate, that helped them. It gave them this false sense of peace in their mind that they had figured it out. But in the long run, it was hurting their hearts. In the end, Paul is hurting because he realizes that there are a ton of Israelites, his people, that heard the good news of Jesus and rejected it. They came to that moment where they were going to choose if they were putting their email in the blank, and they said, you know what, just forget it. And in their minds, they had the answers that they wanted in the law. And giving their heart to Jesus was just this foolish waste of their time. 
You know, it helps us to realize as we think about what that means for us and how it applies to our lives, that the questions that we may be asking, they may help our head in the momentary moments, but in the end, they're hurting our hearts. We ask some really hard questions, questions about the brokenness of our world. Just recently, these are just conversations that I'm having with people in our church. We ask questions like, why, why is adoption so expensive and why is the foster care system so broken? Like, it shouldn't be that hard to take care of orphans. God, like, help me understand that. Like, I don't get it. And it hurts our hearts when we can't come up with a quick answer. Think about the immigration crisis at the border. And if you have a heart, if you value human life at all, your heart is broken. As you see the conditions and as you think about what these families and these people are going through, And it's easy to be broken from a distance. But it hurts our hearts because at the same time, it's like, what do we, what do, we do? There's so much to this. We try to do what we can, but it's, just, it's so much bigger than us. So in the immediate, we try to give ourselves answers, right? We maybe side with a one, one aisle of the political thing. Uh, maybe, you know, we, we just we try to do whatever we can. We try to give ourselves answers really quickly. And it's good for our head, but it hurts our heart. I was having lunch one day this week with a friend, and a guy sat down at the table next to us, a guy and his wife that uh, my friend knew. And the long story short was he ended up sharing with us that he was coming up on the one-year anniversary of the moment that his son, his six-year-old son, had passed away. As we tried to empathize and grieve with him, we learned that his son had passed away almost a year ago when he, the father, had accidentally backed over him with a tractor while spreading gravel in his driveway. He said, you know, it's hard. We have faith. I still can't answer the questions of why or what God's purpose is in this. He said, but perhaps harder than trying to answer my questions is standing with my five other children. As they look on this entire situation, they say, Dad, this isn't right. And then this father, who by this point is just preaching to me, he says, you know what I tell him? I said, no, please tell me. Like, what do you tell someone in that moment? He says, I look back at him and I say, you're right. It's not right. And that's why we need the hope of a Savior. We need the hope of Jesus. Not just for salvation. We need him to fix our broken world. We need him to answer the questions that we want answered because he is the only one that gives us that hope. You know, it's no wonder that we walk around with broken hearts. 
It's no wonder that we are so often crushed by the weight of life. It's no wonder that we struggle to be generous and to have compassion, to be authentic and transparent in our relationships. Because anytime we seem to do those things, we often find on the other end that there's still brokenness, there's still things about this world that just aren't right. And in the wise words of that father, we say, that's right. And we need Jesus. We need the hope of the world. There are so many questions that we want answers to, and our hearts are hurting, and we just can't figure it out. And so when we think about giving our heart to Christ, our head rejects what our heart requests. In our heart, it makes sense. It makes sense that we would give ourselves to Jesus. But our head has all these questions that we just keep searching for answers for, and Paul illustrates that in verses 6 and 7. He says, But the righteousness that come from faith speaks like this. Don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will uh, go down into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. He says, don't say this because what happens is we just begin to reduce everything down and forget all the nuances and the complexity of this world. And we say, you know what? Let's just boil it down to this. Are you saved? Are you not saved? Jesus will take care of it all. In a sense, that's true, but let's not be so nuanced as that. Instead, what Paul is saying is that by faith, you don't need the answers to these questions because Christ has already come down to earth and he's already come up from the dead. He's saying this, this thing that you're trying to seek right here, the questions that you really want to be answered with certainty, Christ has already answered them. He has already come down. He has already gone back up and he's gone to give us a hope of a world that isn't broken like the one we live in now. Thank goodness that Paul reminds us that it's not supposed to be this way. He continues in verses 8 and 9. He says, on the contrary, what does it say? What does the message of faith say? He says, the message is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. You say, Blake, you don't understand. The message isn't near me. It's not, it's not near me. You don't know my story. You told me at the beginning of the sermon, Blake, you don't know my story. And you're right. You do not know my story. And the message of Jesus is not near me. My life is chaotic. I'm looking up and and hopes and dreams I had as a kid seem a million miles away. I'm just hashtag adulting now. I know someone who can relate, right? Sometimes it's me. Who could really believe that the message a faith that says, just give your heart. Just follow the leadership of Jesus Christ in your life. Who could really believe that that message is near to them? Let me reintroduce you to a guy that most of you have probably heard of. His name is Moses. You've got to say his name like that because he's just Moses. He's a cool dude. Scripture even calls him unparalleled as a leader for Christ. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, I want to encourage you to to flip over, tap over, whatever thing over you're supposed to do to get to Deuteronomy 30. Find that. And while you're finding that, let me give you some context. In Deuteronomy 30, 
Moses is standing near the promised land. He's standing near the promised land. It was the vision that God had given him at a burning bush to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. So now he's standing near the promised land. This was to be his crowning achievement. This was the purpose of his life. But he would not enter. And he knows it. Almost 40 years earlier, he tried to take credit for something that God was doing. He didn't do it God's way. And the Lord told him in that moment, you're going to lead the people to the promised land, but you're not going to get to go in. He could have thrown in the towel, right? He could have said, you know what? Since this situation didn't go the way that I thought, I'm done. Israelites, you're in the wilderness. You got it from here. He could have stopped believing in the Lord. He could have decided that the Ten Commandments that he had literally seen God etch into stone on top of a mountain were hogwash. He could have decided that the the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea were just physical phenomena. He could have told them in that moment, in this moment, Deuteronomy 30, as they're getting ready to enter the Promised Land, he could have told them there is no hope. We've just been getting by in the desert for 40 years. Congrats, you made it. But instead, this is Moses' message to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 16. This command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It's not in heaven so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven, get it for us, and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. And it's not across the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea, get it for us, and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. But the message is very near you. Sound familiar? The message is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may follow it. See today, I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commands, statutes, and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Anybody want to sign up to follow Moses right now? I do. Here's a guy that's been leading his people for 40 years, knowing that he would not get to walk into the land that he got to see in a vision. That he he just, like, for the faithfulness that God had called him to, led these people through the desert as they moaned and whined and complained. And then when he got to that moment, he stood in front of them and said, Listen, God is faithful He loves you. The message of hope that that comes from God is near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Like, just choose it. Please just choose it. Go ahead and put your email in. We promise not to spam you too often. 85,000 emails later. Moses caught the vision. He caught the vision that the creator of the universe, God himself, wanted nothing more than for his people to give them, to give him their hearts. He says this just a few verses earlier in verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. Moses could see that the law didn't fix your heart. It couldn't do it. He saw that the Lord was going to give people a new heart instead. 
He was going to peel off the outer layer of people's hearts that was dying because of sin and reveal a new heart that was beating deep within. This message was near the people. Moses could see it. God was after people's hearts. He was close to them, leading them with love. And Moses only makes that speech, right, if he believes it in his heart. If he's given his heart to the Lord. He only says the words if he's convinced by faith that God really is who he says he is. He has nothing to gain. He's dying in a desert, whether he says this or not. And death just didn't seem right. Not for this leader whose scripture describes as unparalleled. But he believed. He believed. And his beliefs were founded when generations later, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came as both God and man. And when he came, Jesus did the hard work that made your heart work. Jesus did the hard work that made your heart work. He came down only as he could, born of a virgin, both man and God, with us, leaving heaven to bring heaven here. He came down and lived a real human life. He took on our sins and went down even further, including death on a cross. He did the kind of hard work that we don't even understand, but we're grateful for when he forgave our sins. And then he went back up to heaven to get ready for all, he would, for all who would say their, from their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe with their hearts that God raised him from the dead. And because of all that, your heart works. Your heart works. What does it mean that your heart works? It means that, that God has given you the ability right, to know that you are loved. He has given you the ability to believe with that same heart that He is God and He is Lord of your life. It means that He has a plan for you. I heard the story this week of a guy named Alex Kendrick. Uh, Alex Kendrick is a movie maker. Uh, there's probably a, a more professional term for it than that, but movie maker. His most recent film you may have heard of is called War Room. If you haven't heard of War Room, you might have heard of Facing the Giants, Courageous. He made all those films. As he told his story this week, and as I got to listen, he started his story by saying, everybody hate cheesy Christian films? He said, me too. He's like, now I make them for a living. I love it. He said, you know, Early on in my life, the Lord let me know. I was raised in a Christian home, had a pastor as a father. He said, the Lord let me know that like, he, he showed me this passion for making films. And then when I got into my teen years, I learned that you know, Americans were consuming more TV and more movies than any other platform at the time. And he's like, so I just knew like, that was how the Lord wanted to use me. He gave me this dream. 